I think the theme of thanksgiving or the theme of gratitude invites a bit more, maybe I would call it briefer, shorter, but also more reflective type of sermon. And with that in mind, um, I'm going to draw your attention to a passage that may seem somewhat obscure to us, um, but I guarantee to you that it does offer an ability for us to reflect on how to give gratitude to God from this passage from Leviticus chapter 23. Leviticus chapter 23 records a number of feasts, that is, times of celebration, times of commemoration. And kids are probably, what, what is commemoration? Commemoration means like how, remembering something. So God set special celebrations in order to remember certain things that he did for his people that would occasion um, hearts of love and thanksgiving to their God. And we're going to be looking at one of those feasts of celebrations called the Feast of First Fruits. So I'm going to just read from Leviticus chapter 23, begin at verse 9. I'm going to read through verse 14. So let's hear once again this day the word of the Lord. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land that I give you and reap its harvest, you shall bring the sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest, and he will wave the sheaf before the Lord, so that you may be accepted. On the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. And on the day when you wave this sheaf, you shall offer a male lamb, a year old, without blemish, as a burnt offering to the Lord. And the grain offering with it shall be two-tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil, a food offering to the Lord with a pleasing aroma, and the drink offering with it shall be of wine, a quarter of a hen. And you shall... Eat neither bread nor grain, parched or fresh, until this same day, until you have brought the offering of your God. It is a statute forever, throughout your generations, in all your dwellings. I'm going to end our reading at that point. And maybe, maybe some of you here this afternoon are going, mm, I don't know. If I had to give a, a message or a sermon for Thanksgiving Day, I don't know if I would have chosen this passage, right? Because you read it and you read things like, well, first of all, the Feast of First Fruits has to do with, with the harvest, right, that God gave his people. And you find some strange things in here, like, and some strange wording, like a hen. What is a hen? And you find, as part of the celebration, a, a, a priest who takes um, the, a sheaf, that is, the pickings of, the, of the, the first pickings of the harvest, basically. And what that priest does is he, he waves it before the people like that, and you're like, what is that all about? And then there are various offerings, right? You have a food offering, and you have a drink offering, and you have, you have an animal offering, a burnt offering, and you're like, what is all of that? Because we're, we're living in New Testament times. We're living after the day of Jesus, not before, and we're not part of natural Israel, and we're not living centuries ago like the people of this passage. And it all seems kind of, well, to be honest to you, with you, it just kind of seems a little bit irrelevant for us today. And yet as we begin to dive into this a little bit, it's not going to be real penetrating analysis, but as we look at the passage, what we're basically going to see together is that this passage 
is all about the provision of God, the gift of God to his people in providing for all of their needs and a recognition to the people of Israel, our ancestors, that they should not be remiss in giving thanks to God as the source of their every gift. Now that's really simple, isn't it? I mean, and it's something that probably is not a surprise to most of us here tonight, that God is the giver of every good gift, and obviously we owe him our gratitude. But think about this. You know, um, we were told about giving thanks for the freedom that we have to worship God, and we should. How many in this nation, however, don't even recognize that God is the giver of every good gift? It's rather interesting, another thing that Joy and I were discussing on the way to worship, I think it was this morning, how we, how we hear upon occasion that Abbotsford is part of the buckle of the Bible belt, right? And then when we think of buckle the Bible belt, we think of some of the time that Joy and I spent church planting in southern Missouri, okay? And you want buckle the Bible belt? You go to Springfield, southern Missouri, or you go to Arkansas, or you go to Texas, and then you see in America what buckle the Bible belt means. I mean, that, that means like there's churches all over the place and, and not everyone, but a number of people still call themselves Christians where they may be just cultural Christians. What Joy and I find, and I would love to have more of a discussion about the place of Abbotsford in BC and the rest of Canada, but we find when you talk about buckle the Bible belt, you're talking in a, a little bit different way, like, we don't see churches everywhere. We see some churches, but I, what, what I sense is that when we come to BC, BC, like the rest of Canada, is, definitely has a greater secular feel to us. Not that America is all Christian by any means, believe me. But there's a definite overt secular feel here. And the reason why I bring this out is because I think we live in a land that, that recognizes, hey, tomorrow is Thanksgiving Day, Right? We set the tone this day for tomorrow, but many people aren't setting the tone at all. They're going to have a celebration tomorrow. They're going to call it Thanksgiving Day. And yeah, we give thanks for everything, but who are they directing that thanks to? Honestly, we're reminded that God is the source of our every good. And in the words of one of our confessional statements called the Belgic Confession, he is, he is the overflowing fount of all good and we owe it to him with joy to give thanks that's just the basics of what we're looking at here this afternoon now as we look at the passage i'm not going to get into all the details of the passage but what i want to do at this point is simply say if 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 you would if you have a bible and you take a look at chapter 23 what you see in verse 4 all the way through verse 8 because what our text does it really begins at verse 9 is you see that there there are actually two feasts or celebrations that lead up actually to the feast of first fruits the feast of harvest so first of all you have the feast of passover and that was two days before the feast of first fruits and then you had what was called the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which was one day before the Feast of First Fruits. And then you had the Feast of First Fruits. So actually, now we have three feasts, two leading up to the Feast of First Fruits. And the first feast was the Feast of Passover. Remember what Passover was all about? Passover was a celebration for our ancestors that, that they celebrated, in which reminded them that they came out of Egypt, the land of slavery, and they were now a free people. 
Kids, do you remember how long the people of Israel were in the land of Egypt? Remember the land of Egypt is where they were slaves and they were oppressed by the Egyptian people, right? Do you remember how long they were? They were there a long time, 400 years. In fact, exactly 430 years. How would you like to be an enslaved people for 430 years? I mean, that's that's a long, long, it's generations of enslaved people. And then God in his grace opened the way through the hand of Moses for his people to be freed. And one of the ways that he did that, he, was, he sent, remember the stories, he sent 10 plagues upon the, the nation uh, or the country of Egypt that kind of provided pressure upon the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, to finally let the people go. And that last plague was the angel of death and the angel of death came and, 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 and killed the firstborn males among the Egyptians. That was a way of God putting pressure on Pharaoh to let his people go. And you remember how that angel of death actually, while it afflicted the Egyptians, passed over the homes of the Israelites and spared them. That's why they call it Passover. And in the Passover, it was God's way of saying, look at me, I'm the one who freed you. I give you liberation. And then there was a feast of unleavened bread. And what leaven was in the Bible, it was a sign of sin. And so what, what God commanded his people to do was to get rid of the leaven, the sin in their lives, so that as a free people, they could remain dedicated to him as a holy people, as a moral people, as a God-honoring people. So really, the feast of Passover was a feast of freedom. Then the feast of unleavened bread was a feast of dedication of the people of God to the Lord, and then finally there was the Feast of first fruits, and that was a feast, a harvest feast, and it was a way of the people of God as they celebrated of saying, Lord, we recognize you as the giver of every good gift. You gave us the harvest. You gave us food. You gave us drink. You give us clothing. We've even, we talked about those things before the worship service as we were giving thanks, but even our ancestors recognized that God was the source. Our nation might, but hopefully we do. Now you say, okay, I, I, I'm, I'm following you, I kind of get it. Now the thing is, though, we don't live in the nation of Israel anymore. So how does this really apply to us? And here's how it applies to us. We now live on the side of the cross of Jesus. In Jesus, all these celebrations, all these feasts come to life. So we say, through Jesus and what he has done for us, he has liberated us, he has freed us from our sins, and he has freed us, as we looked at a couple weeks ago when we were looking at question and answer one of the Heidelberg, right? We're saying he has set us free from the tyranny of the devil, the tyranny of the evil one. We live as a free people. We should be thankful that we're free people. But also this. Jesus, by his spirit, has given, uh, by his spirit, has helped free us from sin and the power of sin in our lives so that we may be a dedicated people, a consecrated people. A consecrated people means that we are now separated from the power of sin in our lives, although we still sometimes struggle with it, but we are now through the Spirit dedicated to God as a free people. And finally, you have the feast of first fruits in Christ. We know that every good gift of God flows in him and through him to us there is no bounty there is no blessing apart from jesus so when you inject jesus or you interpret the feast through the person and work of jesus now they come alive and then we begin to understand all of what we're supposed to be thankful for today what are we to be thankful for 
We're to be thankful to the Lord that through Jesus, we live as a free people. We give thanks this day, Thanksgiving Day, which we'll fully celebrate tomorrow, that, that through Jesus now and through His Spirit, we may live as a consecrated people, dedicated to Lord for all He's given us. And finally, through Jesus and through the blessings that flow forth through Him, we may say, yes, God has provided for us and He promises to continue to provide for us. What do we celebrate this day? Freedom, dedication, and God's daily provision, his daily bread. All of these things flow, praise God, through Jesus, from the Father to us. Now, I know it's kind of concise there, but when you think about what we have to be thankful for, freedom, dedication, and provision, should we not be the most thankful people in all the world? And yet, sometimes we're not. Sometimes we forget, or maybe more accurately, sometimes we're neglectful with our thanks, and sometimes we are downright complaintive. Kids, complain about anything today? Complain about anything? But why pick on the kids? What about us, adults? What do we complain about? This past week, um, I try to go to the, the gym a couple times a week just to, to keep up my strength as I grow older. And I was feeling kind of tired uh, through the workout. And then I look out the window of the gym where I was at. And I see this guy who's heading toward his car. And um, he was in a wheelchair. And he was in the prime of life. He looked no more than 25, 26, something like that. You ever get to that where you just, you're a little bit complaining, you're down on yourself, and then you see something like that, and you go, what in the world am I complaining about? I can walk. I can walk. I told you about a woman named Manel in our church with her two sons who escaped Islam the Islamic Brotherhood in Egypt and came to eventually to our church in Phoenix, but whose husband had to remain uh, in Hong Kong. And there he languished for three years in a small apartment. Finally joined his family um, just a little over a week ago. Now, I tell you what, um, I don't think any of us have ever had to been be separated. I might be wrong, but I think most of us have not had to be separated from, from our spouse for that long a time and try to raise kids on our, on our own. But she did. I would dare say they are probably the, one of the most thankful couples in all of the city of Phoenix come this Thanksgiving day. So let us not complain. You know, we, we, do, we do have a lot to be thankful for. I want to be specific. Let's just talk about, I mean, we talk about our families. How about our church? Let's just think about that. We have a new place of worship. You go, it's a gym. <laughs> so what? So what? It's a gym. It's a place God provided for us. Thank God. We have a vibrant community. We have already a number of prospective members um, who want to join this church. 
we uh, have a new pastor. Anyway, I'm thankful. And uh, Joy and I, thanks to, to Brent, have a home. You have a new parsonage. You know that story? Some of you I think I've told. If, if you haven't heard the story, I'm just going to take time to tell you the story real quick. We were looking at a number of homes, and as you know, in Abbotsford, it's really hard to find a home. Everything is so expensive, and there's so few homes available, and we tried a number of homes. And finally, we came, we came to this one home. Brent says, oh, you should really take a look at that. So Brent was there, and Joy and I were there. And as we were going through the home, we all looked at each other and were like, this is it. This is it. And we just saw ministry written all over it, you know. And so basically, I said to Brent, would it help for you if I wrote a letter? Because sometimes people do that, right? And he says, sure, you know. So I wrote a one-page letter, and Joy attached our photo to it, and basically said that we were a Christian couple, and that I was a pastor, and we were part of this new church work, and we're looking at this home for as a, as a place of ministry, and maybe caring for some people, and, and so on and so forth. And the reason why I told him outright that I was a Christian, because when I went through the house, I saw a number of books on his shelf that the guy who owned the home, I thought, he's a Christian. And there's some pretty good books on his shelf. So I took the chance and wrote the letter. Okay, to, to make a long story short, I had to visit my brother. Some of you know this was going through health issues um, a little over a month ago. And I stopped in Detroit. It was a layover. And I was working on some things actually for, on my laptop for Pathway. I had like two hours there. And while I'm working, I get this call from, Fe uh, from Phoenix, Arizona. I'm like, I don't recognize this number. And I don't want to be sold anything, right? So I just let it go leaves a voicemail. I answer the voice, or I listen to the voicemail. He says, hi, this is Roger Camping. Roger Camping, that rings a bell. His mother was a U.S. state senator who was part of our congregation in Phoenix. I did a funeral for her. And he was there. It was a big funeral. And, and anyway, he says, maybe you don't remember me, but I just got to tell you, um, congratulations on getting a new house. I'm like, how did, what? And I said, I said, I don't, I, we put in a bid, but we never got, I never heard we got the house. He says, no, I heard you got the house. So I called Joy. He says, I haven't heard we got the house. I forget if I called Brent. I don't think Brent even knew at that point if we had had the house. You know, all we were just, and there were so many people looking at that house. But he was the one. And so I called him back. I said, are you sure we got this house? And he said, yeah, because my kids were actually friends of the people who own that home. And they read your letter, and they were so encouraged by that. And even though there was a bid higher than the one that you gave for that house, they took ours because of what we want to use the house for. Okay, that's called a God. You know how people call it a God thing? I don't like that term, actually. We talk about the providence of God. What is the providence of God? That God, by his very hand, orchestrates everything in our lives and for our good. God is watching over Pathway, and he provided us, he provided you at that home. That is something to give thanks for. Now, I know I went long on that, but I wanted you to hear that. We've been able to meet our budget. We have been able to meet in person now, and may it continue. I mean, the, the thing is, we could go on and on, but the point is, tomorrow, when you are celebrating Thanksgiving Day, and you're mid-chew and whatever you're eating, I don't even know what you guys eat for Canadian Thanksgiving. Is it turkey? Steak? Okay, whatever. Okay, so whatever it is, you're taking that bite. Mid-chew, remember that God is the provider of every good gift, that he has been so 
good and that you and I, here's the point, simple point, you and I do not manufacture the blessings that God has given us over the past year, but God is, the, God is very simply, kids, listen to this, God is the source. He, he, he's the one from, from whom and through whom every blessing, every good thing we get comes, comes from, from him. Don't forget, in this wilderness we call life. You know why I say that? Because there is a time when Moses spoke to the people of God, and it was before they entered into the promised land. And Moses, actually the book of Deuteronomy, the fifth book of the Bible, is an extended sermon by Moses to the people of God. That's really what it is. And before they, they were on the plains of Moab, ready, ready to enter into the land of Canaan, the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey. And before they went in, he, he gave a perspective to his people. And he said, don't forget what you went through in the wilderness. And this is what he said. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the people of Israel and say to them, when you come into the land that I give you and reap its harvest, that's not the passage. You have the passage from Deuteronomy. Take care. I didn't think that sounded right. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, which I command you this day, lest you have eaten and are full and have, a good, uh, and, and have built good houses and live in them. And when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied, then your heart will be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery, beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gained for me this wealth. Don't forget your wilderness experiences and how even when you were hot and you were hungry and you were thirsty, I gave you manna from heaven, bread from heaven. I gave you water from the rock of Meribah. I shield you from the heat of the sun. I am the one who gave you all these things. So that when you go into the new land and you experience all the blessings of this land flowing with milk and honey, oh, don't forget. Don't forget your wilderness experiences now I provided for you. How many times haven't I heard stories of immigrants coming to Canada of different stripes and ones that are most closest to us are those who came in the 50s after World War II from Dutch extraction. And I, just, I get these stories because Joy and I have served a little bit in Alberta as well and how you had doctors and lawyers and people from professional backgrounds having to go to the beet field and having to serve on farms. They didn't know the language well. They couldn't just transfer everything that they had learned in Holland to, to Canada, so they had to start at the bottom. And I think especially for those people, they, 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 it was not easy for them, but I think especially these kinds of individuals could say, yeah, we remember the 50s and remember the 60s. Those were not easy days, but we have not forgotten. God has provided for us. He provided for us. That's what Moses is exactly saying to his people, and that's what the Lord is saying to us here. And yet sometimes, sometimes still we struggle with that. I'll leave you one other story. It's from the Bible. Remember the story of the ten lepers? Jesus healed ten lepers. And what happened after that? Let's have this from uh, Luke. 
On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was passing along between Samaria and Galilee, and as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God in a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet. Notice, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, We're not ten cleansed. Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Jesus heals ten men. How many go back to give him thanks? One. And do you recognize who that person was? A Samaritan. Samaritans were spiritual half-breeds. Samaritans were mongrels. Kids, you know what a mongrel is? A mongrel dog? A mongrel dog is like a dog that has all kinds of different backgrounds. It might be part lab, part pit bull, part you know, husky, whatever. You know? The dog is a mix. And Samaritans were looked down as a mixed people by the pure people of God, the Jewish people. And there are times in the ministry of Jesus where, where Jesus will do this to his own people because they're not giving thanks to him. God's people who live in marriage with him, who live in covenant with him, are not giving praise like they should. And sometimes what happens is foreigners, those outside the covenant, actually have more of a heart for God than God's own people. And Jesus is saying that here, saying to his own people, yeah, there's only one who came back to thank me. And was it among you? No, it wasn't. It was this foreigner, and it was in his heart to give thanks for healing. Moral of the story is really quite simple, isn't it? Let us not be like the nine. Let us be like the one who's willing to come to the Lord and say, Lord, you're the one who healed. You're the one who has set me free. You're the one who has blessed me. You are the one. So, ending on this note. Today and especially tomorrow, we have the opportunity, like the Israelites during the Feast of First Fruits, to thank God and we do have a lot to be thankful for, and thank you for expressing that before the service. We got an idea of some of the thanks that we can give and that we have given to the Lord. And when you celebrate Thanksgiving Day tomorrow, think of the Feast of First Fruits and have that image of the Old Testament priest with the sheaf in his hands, the first pickings of the barley harvest, and he's doing this. And think in your mind tomorrow as you celebrate Thanksgiving Day of doing the same thing. You're waving. You're waving the first fruits of all the blessings of this past year that God has given. And you say, Lord God, thank you. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for loving me and caring for me and protecting me in this past year from car accidents, from disease, from for the most dire effects of COVID. <laughs> Thank you, Father, for caring and providing for and for healing me. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for giving me freedom from sin and from the tyranny of the evil one. And thank you, O Holy Spirit, for living in me and guiding me and helping me to be dedicated to the Lord in recognizing, yes, Lord, you as the source of every good. And yes, O God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thank you for being true to your promise that you do work out, as the Bible says, all things for the good of those 
who love you and who are called according to your purpose. Let's give him thanks now. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you, oh God, for joining us back here this afternoon just in a simple way to not only voice our thanks to you, but to reflect on this feast of first fruits as a way of celebrating and commemorating all the blessings that come from your hand, O Father, through and in Jesus Christ, flowing forth to us, O God, through the ministry of your Spirit. O Holy Spirit, we pray, give us hearts of gratitude and bless our day tomorrow as we focus our thoughts, we pray, on you. Grant that, O God, we ask in Jesus' name.